0: Good evening. Today is February 7th, 2023, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter step is The Doctor's Opinion, and our speaker tonight is Nancy T. Thank you, Nancy.
1: Thanks, Melissa, and thank you, everybody. And will you just pause with me for a minute so I can pray God in and just get centered before I share? God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, this disease, the steps, and you, for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my disease, the steps, and especially you. And in my share, may your name be glorified because you are truly the hero of my story. Amen. All right, I always like to start and qualify. I'm Nancy T. I'm the real compulsive reader as described in the big book. Um, I first came to OA 20 plus years ago. I wish I could say that I was one of those people that came in, got abstinent, worked the steps, and I've been here ever since. And that's just not my story. So Melissa's been gracious enough to agree to share some of my pictures for me. I am not techie. I'm maybe techie enough to be dangerous, but she's gonna do that for me. Thank you. It takes a lot of stress off. So um when I came 20 plus years ago, I was 372 pounds. And that is me at my height of my, um, obesity, just having gone through one of the many surgeries that I've had, um, for obesity related conditions, most of them, not all of them, but most of them I'm coming up on surgery number 19. Um, and you know, this disease has taken a toll on my body. So go ahead. And the next one, Melissa. And as I said, I didn't come in and stay in, I, I came in and I've been in and out in there. Oh, that's also at my top weight. So that's 372 pounds. And, um, I, you know, I'm a relapse over and over and over again, you know, it took me a long time to get it. And these next two pictures that she's going to put up show that the one time and Nope. Oh, that's today. Actually, that was yesterday. So, um, the next two pictures are gonna show me in a recovered state. I had two years of abstinence and I reached goal weight one time. There's me with my pants when I was at goal weight. In 20 plus years though, I want you to hear that. I I reached goal weight only one time. And then this next one is also a goal weight picture. Yeah, I believe. So it's this, it's this elusive thing that I thought was, that I was chasing because I thought I would get back there, right? Did you hear that? I thought I was doing something. And so I've been in and out, up and down and all around. And then that last picture that she brought up real quick, that's me today. Well, actually it was me yesterday. Um, I'm about 30 pounds away from goal weight now. And I just take it one day at a time. I suit up and show up and do the work and God's responsible for the rest, including the number on the scale. Thank you so much, Melissa, for your help. So um, I my first incident of disordered eating was when I was eight years old so I really do believe I was born with this disease and I'm just going to set the stage a little bit my mom was dropped my sister and I off at my grandparents house because she was getting back together with her ex-husband that she had divorced and they were going to get back together so they were going to find a house to buy and this parent that she was getting back together with was an abusive stepfather so that's where my mental state was. Well, my grandmother, during the time we were staying there, she put the dinner on the table and it was roast beef and all the trimmings. And I don't even know what overcame me. Well, I do now know what overcame me. This disease did. But I took the whole serving of roast beef and I shoved it in my mouth all at one time. My grandfather, who I idolized, his response was somebody should slap her. That was the first time I associated shame with my eating. Now, during my childhood, I didn't have a whole lot of overeating because I was out, it was out of my control, right? I didn't buy the food and I didn't have access to the food. But once I left home and was on my own, my disease skyrocketed. It would it had been doing push-ups the whole time, just waiting for that time when I was a, had a, no um, harness on me and I could buy whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, and I did. And I ate myself to oblivion. You saw the pictures. I'm really grateful to share on the doctor's opinion because what better chapter is there to relate my experience, strength, and hope? This is the chapter that gave me a diagnosis. All of a sudden I realized I wasn't just some freak of nature that I had described myself as all those years. Who eats like that? Who can't control a simple thing like their food? Who eats their way to almost 400 pounds? Nobody else in my family did that. I thought I was a freak. But the doctor's opinion is the chapter where I found out what was wrong with me, um, and it gave me some hope. So this was the first chapter where I got some hope in this disease. So let's just jump in with both feet. So we know the doctor's opinion starts off by describing a patient. In his first letter, the doctor describes a patient he was treating, which we know today is to be Bill W. And he describes Bill W. as hopeless. I was hopeless. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. He said that he had worked with many cases where other methods had failed, like this. I tried everything. I had medical treatments. I tried diets. I tried acupuncture. I tried everything known to man. Nothing worked. The doctors couldn't help me. I couldn't help me. I wanted to stop and couldn't. I was hopeless. So he acknowledges that these men may have a remedy that would work where nothing else had. I'm listening now because I certainly had never found anything that works. So now I'm listening. He's piqued my interest. So then they asked him to expand on it a little further. He was a little generic in his first letter. He, you know, it wasn't a real popular position among physicians at the time that he was giving. So, But they asked him to expand more. And when he did, he really gets into the meat of the diagnosis. And that's where I learned that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. I'm like, what? And it made sense, right? It made sense because I knew that when I ate certain foods or combinations of food and put it in my mouth, that I experienced a phenomenon of craving beyond my control that would demand I continue eating more and more and more. And my mind would tell me that it's gonna be okay, this time's gonna be different, right? And this vicious cycle, my mind telling me it's gonna be okay, that this time is going to be different. So I believe the lie. I pick up the food and I'm in this vicious cycle that I've repeated probably thousands of times in the 20 plus years that I've been in these rooms. I've never been able to stop on my own. I was hopeless. You know, and when I'm under the influence of these substances, I do insane things. I've eaten out of garbage cans. The only requirement is that it still be in the wrapper, right? As long as it's in the wrapper, it's fair game. I'm going for it. I've stolen food, I've stolen money to get food. I've spent thousands of dollars on self-help books, treatment, therapy, um, acupuncture, you name it. Um, every diet known to man, every time a new diet came out, I bought the book and signed up, You know, show me where to sign up. I binged until I passed out. How could you better describe this than pure insanity? I was insane where food was concerned. So, again, the doctor's opinion makes sense. It says on page Roman numeral 26 that explains things which I could not otherwise account for. I couldn't explain it, but he did in just a few couple sentences there. And so he says, in order to treat this, first I have to clear my brain. I have to get my brain clear. So, that must mean I'm going to have to put down the food. Well, how am I going to do that? He just told me. That I have an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body that's going to demand I continue to eat more and more and more. How am I going to stop? I guess I'm going to have to ask for help because I can't do it on my own. This has been clear. I've tried, right? So I can't stop on my own. This fellowship is full of people that supported me along the whole process, including that difficult withdrawal period. They would do whatever they could as long as I asked for help. So I had to ask for help and become willing to do what was suggested. Would I do it? Of course I would. I was desperate. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. I would do it. So the doctor continues on page Roman numeral 28, and he starts using terms like moral psychology, psychological measures powers of good. When I first heard that, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? You know, I know today he's talking about in a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, an entire psychic change. He uses lots of different terms, but I understand what that means today. Um, That is what the solution brings about in this book. If I follow the directions, it says I will have this essential spiritual awakening. So I asked for help, I got the support I needed to put the food down, and then I had to get busy doing the steps like my hair was on fire here, because putting the food down may have quieted the physical craving that I suffered from, but it didn't shut up my mind, and my mind would keep going and left untreated, it would eventually one day convince me that food was a good idea again, that this time's going to be different and I'm gonna believe it, and I'm gonna pick up the first bite, and I'm gonna set and cycle that terrible, set in motion that terrible cycle. And a doctor says, I'm gonna repeat this over and over and over again, and I did. I did, I've proven his theory true. If you go to the bottom of page, Roman numeral 28, the doctor is telling me that I eat because I like the effect that I get. I recently listened to a podcast about this paragraph. Well, it was about the doctor's opinion, but I really was interested in the part about this paragraph. And you know, if you would have asked me, did I eat because of the effect I got, I would have said, Oh yeah. And then if you ask me, what's the effect you get? Oh, it tastes so good when the food goes in. It's calming, it calms me. It numbs me out. It gives me a sense of belonging. I feel like I belong in the world when I'm in the food they said, really? So let's focus on the last several years of your eating. What effect did you get in reality? And I'm like, oh, wow. I had obesity. I had depression. I felt guilt, shame, remorse. I had medical problems. You heard about the 18 surgeries. I had hopelessness. Wow. So you really weren't numbing out because you could feel all those things. So that effect that I thought I was getting was the illusion that I chased, the lie that I chased all those years. I would have told you I was getting an effect that I wasn't getting. And I honestly don't know if I ever got it to the extent how I described it. I had romanticized food thinking I got this wonderful effect from it. And I can tell you today, if I picked up, I might get a nanosecond of relief and it's gone. And immediately I'm thrown back into those negative effects. It was it was eye opening to me. That's 10 minutes. Thank you very much. I could go on, you know, on the effects that this disease has done to me, what it does to my mind, what it does to my relationships Like I said, though, if I ever did get any of those effects, it was only at the very beginning. The last many, many years, I did not. But I have chased that lie, that illusion that I thought I was getting for years and years and years. How could I call that anything but insanity? My behavior and my actions around food are insane in light of what always happened. So the doctor tells me that, again, I'll continue this over and over and over again and again, unless, and this time he calls it an entire psychic change. I'm at the top of page, room numeral 29 now. And he's talking again about this spiritual experience. So he says, unless I can have this spiritual experience, I'm going to keep doing the thing that I've always done. Do I want it? Hell yes, I want it. It's got to be better than what I have gotten. He says that if I experience this entire psychic change, that I'll easily be able to control my desire for food. What? Nobody ever told me that before. I'm like, this guy really? Sign me up. Show me. What do I have to do? I want to be able to easily control my food, right? Well, he tells me, what does he tell us on that page? I have to follow a few simple rules. I've come to understand those are spiritual rules. And they're embodied in the 12 steps, along with the spiritual principles. The recovery from this disease is spiritual in nature. And the way I get the spiritual experience is through the working of the 12 steps. It's the only one I've ever heard about. It's the only one that's ever worked for me. So I willingly worked the steps I had to. I was dying physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually. I was disconnected from my source of power. The doctor says that this psychic change is essential, necessary, mandatory. If I want the results, he says I'll get, which is he just told me I'll be easily able to control my desire for food. So I'm going to work the steps. The doctor then, if you go to Roman numeral page 30, he goes into the classifications. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the classifications. We've all read them. And if you haven't, they're on Roman numeral page 30. And I used to not realize it, but I'm in all of those classifications. I was emotionally unstable. I was always going on the wagon for keep. I was over remorseful. I made many resolutions, but never a decision. I planned various ways of eating. My family and friends certainly didn't understand me. I could go on. I could find myself in each one of those classifications but that isn't what was important what was important was to understand that i had one symptom that was common to people who the doctor describes are like me and that is i cannot start eating any of my trigger foods or substances without developing this phenomenon of craving so left untreated my mind is going to tell me it's okay and this time's going to be different and Then I'm going to pick up because I'm going to believe the lie. And then I'm going to take that first bite. And here we go again, right? And then if you go to the bottom of that page, Roman numeral 30, he tells me the only relief he has to offer is entire abstinence. Wow, that's pretty strong language, right? Entire abstinence. To me, that tells me there's no wiggle room. That doesn't mean I get to eat whatever I want during the week and binge on the weekends or on holidays or when I'm on vacation, that means entire abstinence 24 seven, right? I've got to be abstinent. That means I have to identify what are those triggers for me. And I have to be willing to abstain from them entirely, completely, fully. For me, that means I have to have black and white abstinence. And while I have black and white abstinence, I have to work a spiritual program and we know that now to be the steps. I got to work the steps. That's what's going to keep my mind quieted from telling me that this time's going to be different and a little bit of food's going to fix it and it's going to be okay to taking that first bite and again, starting that vicious cycle. So if I don't take the first bite, I won't turn on that phenomenon of craving, right? You know, the reality is I'm 61 years old, no time has ever been different. All the times my disease told me this time was going to be a different. It never was. It's always the same. And thank you, God, that today I believe that it always will be the same. It's I'm if I pick up my the trigger foods today, I will get the same effect I have always gotten, and it's going to get worse, never better. That, That's and that Five minutes. Thank you very much. Perfect. <laughs> So, I love that the doctor ends with two examples. And if you've ever listened to Harlan or the history buffs in OA and AA, you know that those two stories the first one is Hank P., and the second one is Fitzmael. And the reason that I love those examples is because they mirror my experience with this disease. You know, so they both came in and they were a hot mess, right? Physically and mentally. When I came in, I was a hot mess. I was 372 pounds dying in the food and I couldn't stop even as bad as I wanted to. Then they eliminated their, they got clean physically. They cleaned up physically. So they put the alcohol down. I had to put the food down. I had to, I put the food down. So I was hot mess. I came in, I put the food down. And then it says they followed the plan outlined in this book. So what does that mean? I worked the steps like my hair was on fire. I did the work. I asked for help, I got a sponsor, and I worked the steps. The book is pretty descriptive of what happened when these men did that. Hank P., they described, he went from a hot mess to a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. Wow, that's a pretty drastic change. Fitz Ms described fine finest specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. They were a mess, they put their drug down, they got help, they worked the steps, and they recovered. And that is what happened to me. Today I can honestly tell you that I live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have real relationships with people today. They're real. I connect. I'm not taking hostages. I'm not people pleading. Well, sometimes I still people please. I try not to. It's one of my character defects, right? But uh, I'm happy. I'm pretty active and healthy. I'm free from the physical craving that used to rule my life and the mental obsession, I don't have that today. And that is only because God did for me what I could not do for myself. This was all done to me, not by me. I did not do this. God did for me what I could not do for myself. And all I had to do was ask for help and be willing. I have been rocketed from obsessing about where I'm going to get my next fix to driven to find more of God. I want more. It gives me goosebumps to say that. I want to talk for a minute to the newcomers that might be here or those that are coming back or might still be in relapse because I've been where you are. I've been dying in the food more than once. It's a hellish existence that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. If it can work for this real compulsive overeater, bottom of the barrel compulsive overeater, I promise you that it can work for you too. I promise. Be willing. Pick up the phone. Ask somebody to help you and do the work.
0: That's if you two minutes.
1: Thank you. If you do the work, you're going to get the result. I can't, the, the compassion that I feel in my heart today for the still suffering compulsive overeater is genuine. I see obese people all around me every day. I pray for them. I want them to find what has been so freely given to me And there's a few people in this room today. They're very dear to my heart and I'm so glad. And they've been on this journey with me and they told me it's okay. You're going to get better. You just got to stay here. I never left OA. I just took a couple of detours because this is the last house on the block. This is where it is. I've never heard anything else close to resembling recovery. And now I get to experience it one day at a time. I am so grateful you asked me to speak on the doctor's opinion. It was, it's a God thing. I could not have asked for a better chapter, my favorite one. And like I said, if you'd let me, I'd keep talking, but it's probably a good thing that you got a timer on me. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you so much for letting me share.
0: Thank you so much, Nancy T for your beautiful message. So glad that you could share with us. We will now open the meeting for questions or three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine, if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. I am the timekeeper, so I'll set a timer for three minutes and announce when time is up. And if the speaker is asked a question, we'll allow three minutes for the
2: answer. I'll pass it over to the Zoom host. Thank you, Melissa. Julie R. Hi, thanks. Julie R. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And oh, thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of being on this uh, road to recovery with Nancy, I don't know, since 2000, something, three, four. And, you know, the doctor's opinion, it just spells it out so clear. You know, if we are that real compulsive overeater, what do we do, right? That entire abstinence. Well, then what what do we do? You know, we have the the steps in order, which is pretty awesome. Um, even though I would skip around thinking I didn't need certain ones, but, um, it's like, you know, we, we are all different backgrounds and, but yet we're the same. We have the same disease of course, but the solution and, uh, you know, there's so many people here that I got to meet at the birthday party, um, and it's just wonderful because where else could we do that people from all walks of life uh you know it, the doctor's opinion you know tells us that um you know we we we're like a shipwreck right and um you know that we're meeting in the camaraderie and but it's so much more it's that soul connection that we have and I get to have that filled all the time, but, you know, the doctor's opinion is so clear that I have this twofold illness and that I have to be abstinent. Um, You know, being morbidly obese um, is horrific. You know, uh, I shared the other day, you know, not being able to fit in the airplane seats, not being able to, you know, ride the Disneyland rides with my boys, because I couldn't get the bar over my stomach, you know, the, uh, you know, having lost 155 pounds and maintaining it is it's good it's it's a you know it's, it's a nice thing but man that's just the bare beginning it's like that living in the fourth dimension whatever we want to call it I'm in a hotel room and you know back in the day you know when I was either in relapse or not recovered I mean that would be the best thing right you know be in a hotel room all food, alcohol, I could have the expense checks. And it's like, I just had my Instacart food delivered all my healthy foods. I've got my scale out. I'm going to weigh and measure my dinner. It's just what we do. And it's not a big deal. I went to the gym. It's like, but I wouldn't have done any of those things if I'm not abstinent or if I'm not spiritually fit. And it's like, we could be spiritually fit anywhere. So anyway, Nancy, thank you for being in my life all these years and um, I'll see you around. Thank you, Julie. Next is Victoria
3: followed by Lida. Hi
4: everybody. I'm Victoria. I'm a recover compulsive reader and insulin manipulator in Florida. Um, I haven't been at this meeting for a while and it's been such a shame. I'm so glad to be here and I'm so glad to be starting fresh again, round six on the doctor's opinion, the chapter that when I went through this with my sponsor, I I needed a, I'm just going to be, I needed a doctor's opinion. I was, I'm very grounded in science and facts. And I was like, I, this is a bunch of woohoo praying and holding hands and kumbaya. And I don't know if I'm into it, but then really hearing some of these things that this, even the allergy, I was like, that's not an allergy. Now that we know about immunoglobulins and how things react, like that's not the same thing as like, I was so against the idea of an allergy, but having somebody explain to me, no, the normal reaction to eating ice cream when you're sad is to be like, wow, it did make me feel like the abnormal reaction is not ice cream making you feel better. The abnormal reaction is you can't stop eating it. You're crying. You're going out in the middle of the night to get more. You're eating other things because you know, if you eat more ice cream, you'll have to go to the hospital. So you start eating butter out of the container and finish 30 tablespoons of, but like that's an abnormal reaction. And so having um, that really put clearly, even though it was in the 1930s language and I needed a little bit of translation to get there, having that cosine of like, hey, I know you think these drunk people are crazy, but I'm important and I believe they've got something here. It kept me listening, it kept me reading. Um, and it's, I'm just so grateful for that. And I also was just really struck by, if it's okay to say, what, what was shared about a goal weight. And it's interesting because some of you know that I'm diabetic, but I had this thought. I said, well, whose goal is that? Well, that was what my, you know, it was repeated a couple of times. And I had this thought, well, whose goal is that? And I really feel like that was a message to me. This morning I woke up, my blood sugar was higher than I would like it to be. It's higher than what my doctor would like it to be. Right. But I'm not harming myself with food. It's a miracle. You know, like I always thought to be well, it would mean I, I check my blood sugar and I see this magic number, you know, or that's, what's going to give me peace and serenity. Of course, I think being healthy is a great thing, right? Like it allows us to continue to carry the message in an effective way. and And so I don't mean to say that like you know, working towards a healthy body weight or a healthy blood sugar level, are those things? Isn't important. I, I think it is important, but when I think about what's my idea for where my life projection is going, I hope this is making sense. Maybe um, it's like what my goals. Who who asked me? <laughs> who asked me what my goals are? Right? And 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 that's what this program has taught me is that everything I thought I wanted uh, that I didn't get, so grateful because all the other things I've gotten instead you know, they may not, it may not be a party, you know, a hundred percent of the time in the way that I would think of it. It may not be constant ecstasy, that but perfect. As I want to finish with just saying so grateful for the life that I do have today. And I'm grateful for all the goals I set that I haven't reached. So thank you. And I pass.
3: Thanks, Victoria. Next we have Lita.
2: Hang on, Lita. There we
5: go. We're there. Hi, Lita Compulsive Overeater. I had, had, had to be here for the doctor's opinion. I say it's one of my most favorite parts of the book. Actually, I have four most favorite parts of the book. um, But this is the first one that shows up. That's my most favorite part of the book. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy, for your amazing, amazing elucidation of all of the pieces of this amazing chapter um, this chapter, for me, put into words something that I was fighting for 60 years that I didn't get. I never ever got that this was disease. This was an allergy of the body. This was an obsession, so pe- peculiar mental twist. And for me, the allergy is twofold. It's an allergy that sets up the phenomena of craving. There are certain things that I have that are gateway things that lead into all kinds of destruction. Self-will run riot, and food gone astray. But in addition, I am actually physically allergic to some of my alcoholic foods and they create tremendous inflammation enough that my chiropractor called me the queen of itis. But six weeks into this program and six weeks abstinence, I was able to not be in pain 24 seven, to be able to put down all kinds of medications and to begin on a life's path that I never dreamed was possible. I just recently celebrated three years of abstinence, which is mind-boggling to me, absolutely mind-boggling. And it wouldn't be possible without this book, all of you, a sponsor, and a plan. Because without ingesting alcoholic foods, I'm not on that runaway train going downhill that can't stop. It's interesting. Drugs were a part of my previous life. They were a part of my story. I understood that one line of cocaine was too much. And that 1,000 would never be enough. But I am definitely, as the spiritual appendix 2 talks about, I am of the educational variety. And for thinking that I was kind of right, well, it took me 30 year, 33 years to realize that the same thing applied to sugar and cookies and all that stuff. But it's mind-boggling. I have new sponsees. I'm getting to read this with them soon. I'm getting to carry the message And I am so grateful that you are all here and I get to share this with all of you and that that I got to be off today and to be able to come to this and get off um, a fellowship call and say, I've got to go. It's the doctor's opinion. I thrive for this because it keeps me sane. It keeps me sober. It keeps me working this program every day. And enables me to understand exactly what alcoholic foods do to me. And this is a permanent progressive and fatal disease. I don't want to go there. I just want to become better every day. I want to become kinder. I want to become more tolerant. Because, yeah, I put the food down now. But I still got character defects. Big and bold to deal with. So every day, mm-hmm. every way. Thank you. I get better and better and I owe it to all of you. Thank you for being here to help me.
3: Elizabeth, can you unmute? There we go. Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Hi everybody. Elizabeth here. Um Nancy, thank you so much. I am new. Uh I kind of coming back. Um scared. <laughs> scared, like uh not sure what I'm doing. And um my my question, I, I mostly need to be here to listen. Um But I do have a question, and my question is if you, Nancy, could share a little bit more about the alcoholic foods and how we, you know, a, a little bit maybe about your process of identifying what they were for you or how someone new to this work could really come to that for themselves, because I think I know but I'm also convincing like oh it's like a mess so I um and I you know also have been attending these meetings and have heard people kind of uh, be in a process of identifying what those foods are for them and I'm the type of person that I want to know yesterday and just like make it easy for myself um but it seems like for me it's it's a uh yeah, I think you know what I'm asking. So um I appreciate you sharing a little bit about that topic. Thank you.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. That's a very common question. And we all wonder, well, what do I get to eat? Right? And what can I not eat? And the thing is, is all of our bodies are made differently. All of our bodies have different nutritional needs. All of our bodies, we're just different. We're Our molecular makeup is different. So I always suggest and what was suggested to me is to get a professional opinion. And so I hired a nutritionist to go over my history with food and and my um, particular needs, you know, it depends how active are you, I mean, there's just so many irons that go into determining that. But until then, it takes a little time to do that you don't have to wait till then to get, you know, to get on the bandwagon and then start working the steps. You know, when you find someone to sponsor you, they'll help you get started on it. You know that we have a a pamphlet called um, "Where Do I Start?" I think is the new one. It used to be called "Dignity of Choice." They have some real generic food plans in there, and your sponsor can help you identify which foods maybe to stay away. She can ask a few questions and probably help you find out. And like you said, you probably know a lot of them already, so um, it will become apparent it's not as daunting as it seems. So pick up that phone, ask somebody to help you and just get started. Just get started. That's all there is. I'm so glad you're here, Elizabeth. So glad you're here.
0: Thank you, Nancy. And we will now stop the recording. Thank you so much. Sorry, I'm coming. Stop recording.